1: Well, thank you for joining us on this week's AccuWeather podcast. And this week, Andy, we are talking about bugs. How about that? Yes. (laughs) So excited. Yeah, to be blunt, (laughs) yes, we
0: are talking bugs. We're talking pests. We're talking prevention. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting show.
1: Yeah, in all seriousness, we have uh, Megan Clitheroe. She's one of our employees here. Because we're talking about kind of keeping your family safe during the summer season. Mosquitoes, uh, ticks carrying serious uh, diseases right so uh today we are talking to megan about her personal experience that she had with lyme disease and then we're also talking to dr jim fredericks and he's from the national pest management association he has a lot of great information for us as well
0: yeah about how to safeguard your your household how to keep your pets and kids safe as well when it comes to uh pests in the summer months
1: right so we have that coming up so stay with us
0: From our global headquarters in State College, Pennsylvania, here's your host, Regina Miller.
1: Well, today I'm sitting here with Megan Clitherow. She is the director of brand development here at AccuWeather, and she has a story to share because uh, you've had a really difficult experience with Lyme disease that we're going to talk about today. Thank you so much for sharing your story and sitting down with me today, Megan. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing all right, doing better, definitely. Let's start with the story of what happened because you started to feel sick uh and how many months ago was this that you started to just have some weird symptoms so it was june 5th um was
2: actually my wedding anniversary we were out to dinner with the family my daughter actually graduated from pre-kindergarten that day as well so that night i i noticed i was getting the chills Mm -hmm. um and these weren't you know these were fever chills i knew i knew i was coming down with fever that night I ended up with a fever that went up to 103 degrees.
1: Wow. I don't know that I've ever had a fever that high.
2: It was, yeah, it was not fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, the next day I stayed home from work, you know, and throughout the next week I was definitely feverish. I had a low, low grade fever between 100 and 101 degrees. I was tired. I knew my legs were weak. Um, and I had a little bit of a headache. And so I decided, okay, I'm not shaking this. I better go get seen. So I went to my doctor. Mm-hmm. They checked me. You know, I said, normally when I get sick, I get a sinus infection. So I thought maybe it was something like that that just hadn't really surfaced. Mm-hmm. And um, But they checked me over. They said, you're, you're clear. You have no congestion. Your ears are fine, you know. So how are they explaining the fever part of that? Because that's always you know a big indicator of something. So they said it must just be a virus. You know, hang in there for another ten to fourteen days is what they said. Which wow, that's a
1: long time. I'll tell when you, when you're feeling miserable,
2: I was absolutely miserable. Yeah, I couldn't. I had no uh, no energy to even do the dishes or the laundry. I mean, I was I was knocked off my feet.
1: So was one of your biggest symptoms the just the sheer fatigue yeah just exhaustion I would definitely say fatigue so. yep okay. and then
2: um the next day I started experiencing some facial twitching um you know it was that day that I realized that some of these things that I was experiencing on the left side was
1: all on the left side right because I, I would almost I, for me I would probably almost be inclined to like Is this like a stroke coming on or did you think anything like that? So what I was suspecting was Bell's palsy because
2: I know uh, a couple different people um, I know have had it. So I wasn't completely freaking out about a stroke at this yeah, point. Yeah, because I would have been like, well, and I'm
1: a little bit that person anyway. <laughs> right. Like, you know, like something's wrong with me. And I go to my husband. I'm like, I was looking on Google. And as it turns out. I tried not know. to do that too much. Right. I know that's not always That's a good, a good idea not to do that because right. you can get yourself into an absolute panic. But in this case, you know, you were at least you knew some people that had similar symptoms to what? Like, kind of, ultimately, it was for you, right? Yeah, so what happened, um,
2: so it was the the Tuesday, a week after I saw the doctor, that Wednesday, I was not getting any better. My eye started bothering me, my left eye. Um, And so what I decided to do was to um, drive myself over to the ER. You know, I figured...
1: I was progressing a lot at that point. Was your face really dragging now at this point? Because I think I saw you maybe right after this and thought you had had some dental work done and maybe had been numbed because of the fact that your one side of the face was dragging. That's how we ended up in this conversation. Exactly. It was obvious that
2: I figured I had this Bell's palsy going on, but I figured I had to go and get seen by a professional, you know, just to make sure that that's all that it was, you Mm -hmm. know. So what actually happened, once I went to the ER, of course, they checked to make sure I wasn't having a stroke. They checked to make sure that my heart was, you know, working properly. Um, They did all sorts of blood work. And here it came back positive for Lyme. Funny enough, um, when I originally had gone to to the doctor, she too had given me uh, a screening. She said, you know, go get lab work done for a screening for Lyme. And don't you know, it came back negative. Really? It did. It did. Um, There were some...
1: Like the, little the, indicators, but nothing that right, was done. Right, not within blown. the threshold, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's interesting, the first round of testing that is typically done, so so what we can tell people listening is it may still be Lyme. Like even if it, the first round of testing doesn't indicate that it's Lyme, uh, it's not in-depth enough to really search specifically. Yeah, I would definitely, looking back, I would be more
2: aggressive, um, you know, knowing that, I was not feeling right um, Mm -hmm. knowing that it was not a normal kind of sickness that I normally feel right I would um, definitely push to um, try to figure
1: out what the heck is it then did the doctors tell you is there a sequence that typically is expected, or is everybody different? Or did they say? Funny you say sequence. So one one of the things
2: that I had learned apparently, Lyme has stages. I didn't realize okay. this. All right. Um, what we consider the onset of Lyme for me was that high fever. Um, that was basically the first stage. You know that I, that I experienced for the next week or so. The the fever, the fatigue, the weakness, um, headaches. Right. And then, apparently, the second stage, and I'm not saying that they're, like, numbered or anything, but, you know.
1: And the way it went for you, the way it progressed. Yeah, exactly. The second stage,
2: for me, at least, was the onset of the Bell's palsy, right? So, my doctor had said they consider it, they, they call it either secondary Lyme or complicated Lyme, where you actually have neurological impacts, um,
1: oh, so not everybody gets that. Maybe,
2: but that's that's what I mm. am led
1: to believe. Right, right, uh, right, right. So,
2: um, and actually, my doctor had said he was um, very, very surprised at how quickly the bells had set in from the onset of the Lyme. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, so I don't know how soon it normally sets in, but it was a little more than a week. Uh, right. You know, for me, and. Um, Yeah, so so finally, I'm starting to uh, feel better. (laughs) You (laughs) You look better because I noticed when you smile,
1: you're both sides of your face now starting to you know you're starting Starting to to lose that yeah, starting to lose that where it's dragging on one side. I said I'll
2: never be picky again about a
1: driver's license picture. You know, (laughs) as long as both sides of my smile turn up, I'm happy. (laughs) It teaches you to keep it all in perspective, you know. And uh, you know, obviously, we're we're just talking about Megan's specific experience here because that's the important no is if you're feeling anything that's really bizarre like this or an unusual illness for you you may want to go and get that checked out right away but what do you looking back do you know because it's a tick bite right do you know when this happened for you so i did
2: know that i had gotten bit by a tick okay um i did catch it that day you know we were out in the yard uh doing some yard work i live out in the woods so it's kind of uh you know unavoidable right but um i did i did find the tick i did did take it off, you know but I guess there's always that chance that I didn't get the whole thing. From what I understand, at least from what I learned, um, it, it takes a while for um, for for the lime, I guess you could say to be set in. Mm-hmm. Um, the tick I think needs to be there kind of attached for somewhere between like 24 to 48 hours or so um, mm-hmm. in order for them to actually transfer the bacteria over to you that's what that's what I read so right but there was no um, for me there was no uh, no bullseye rash that's one of the telltale signs right um, I had and it's not it doesn't even have to be at the location where you got bit oh you mean um, there could be a bullseye rash somewhere else on your body or, or another kind of a rash oh, okay.
1: um,
2: and so I didn't have either Right, you know, so um, you know, just like any other tick, um, you get it, and I mean, you keep an
1: eye out for right. well, for for these
2: kinds of things. Well, you keep an eye out so for well, the bullseye
1: because yeah. I know that me, if it were me, I would probably be like, um, well, it's not doing what it looks like on. Well, because I would search Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, mine doesn't look like Google images of the bullseye rash, so I don't have this, you know. Right. So I would I would disregard it probably, but it is a, a really good lesson. Uh, in learning to really get those things checked out because uh, these pests can cause really dangerous situations west nile lyme disease a couple of the examples
2: yep and i'll tell you i've been um, much more i guess you could say vigilant about um, bug spray and just making sure that we're doused with the bug spray you know um the, the deed or the EPA, you know, what we were just learned from uh, Dr. Jim this past week. Right. Um, because
1: uh, Megan uh, arranged and we had a meeting with Dr. Jim, who is, we keep calling him bug guy, affectionately calling him bug guy. Our pest <laughs> guest. <laughs> yes yeah, Dr. Dr. Our, Jim Oh, Fredericks. I like, I like hers. I like hers. <laughs> pest guest. <laughs> so <laughs> they both work. But anyway, yes, that's our next interview coming up. And he had some really great advice that we're going to share with he people. He did. I learned a lot from his, uh, his segment. Yeah. Dr. Jim Fredericks from
2: the National Pest Management Association. So I'll tell you, um, since then, uh, with the kids and everything, we've been spraying hats and their shoes and legs, everything, you know. with Clothing spray, and everything. You right. bet. Yep, just to make sure, you know, I don't want to take any chances.
1: Yeah, I don't blame so. you, especially with the kids, because, you know, it's like going through it, Ugh. and you definitely don't want to see your kids go exactly. through it. So, Well, thanks exactly. so much, Megan. I appreciate you sharing your story. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And that was really good information from Megan. I'm so glad she had a chance to sit down with us, Andy, because I did not know that symptoms could look so different on different people.
0: Yeah, puts it all in perspective. People just think Lyme disease. You think Lyme disease and ticks, but you don't know too much else about it. So great information. And coming up in a bit, also, we're going to be talking with Dr. Jim Fredericks from the National Pest Management Association, who's also appeared on uh, some of our Facebook live videos as well to talk about uh, pest management, how to keep yourself safe.
1: Well, I'm joined in the studio now by Dr. Jim Fredericks. He's from the National Pest Management Association. And we're talking bugs, Dr. Jim. Thanks for sitting down with us today.
3: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: We have a lot to talk about with uh, mosquitoes, ticks, all kinds. Why bugs for you? (laughs) (laughs) How did you end up in this line of work? Well,
3: interestingly enough, I had a great professor in college, and um, we had an entomology class. There were about 12 people in the class, and uh, we went on field trips, and we got to go visit ponds, and we got to go visit the forest, and it was just like a fascinating guy. And I was studying to be a 10th grade science teacher. And so that's how I got interested in it, but I've always been interested in science.
1: You know, we were talking about mosquitoes because I wanted to find out how things are shaping up for this summer as far as mosquitoes. And I don't know whether that's based on just specific locations or whether you have a sense for how it is in, you know, different areas of the country.
3: Different regions have different mosquitoes, have different mosquito pressures. Um, One of the things you can count on is that when we have warm weather, uh, there will be more bugs. And so mosquitoes count there. Um, Part of the reason for that is that all insects are cold-blooded, and so as the temperature increases, their development time decreases, which means that the population can grow more quickly. Um, But the thing that mosquitoes are most, um, most influenced by is precipitation. So okay. if there's lots of rainfall, there's lots of standing water, and mosquitoes need standing water in order to breed.
1: So is it uh, a warmer, wetter summer is your bigger problem?
3: Warmer, wetter summers typically are going to be a uh, more problematic when it comes to mosquitoes, for sure. And that's why we often see a lot of mosquito pressure perennially in the southeastern states where we expect right. humid, warm, wet
1: summers. What are some of the, because there's some diseases that are spread by mosquitoes, for example, and... I was wondering what the main ones are and maybe what areas of the country are most impacted by those.
3: The one mosquito-borne illness that we've heard a lot about is Zika, right? Last year, Zika was all over the news, but the the mosquito-borne illness that is most commonly reported in people in the United States is West Nile virus, and that continues to be true. Um, When there are lots of, you need need three things uh, for an outbreak to occur. You need the vector, the mosquito, um, you need, in the case of West Nile virus, the reservoir, which would be um, uh, birds, and you need the pathogen. So, if you have the pathogen in the reservoir, the birds, okay, and so the mosquitoes you got... feed on the birds, right. they transmit it to humans. And so, it's hard to predict. Um, where, um, you know, where these disease outbreaks might occur. But you can predict where the mosquitoes are going to be most prevalent.
1: So you're just trying to basically figure out where there's going to be the largest amount of mosquito population for that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, and ultimately, if you know you're going to be in those areas, the best way to protect yourself is um, by applying repellent.
1: What are some of the best repellents? You know, like when you're spraying yourself with the insect repellents, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of chemicals. So then I was wondering... Should you buy the ones in the store, or can you use any of those homemade ones? Like one, for example, I saw was like garlic water, which I thought, well, <laughs>
3: that it lovely. may repel <laughs>
1: people. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it just repels everyone, including mosquitoes. But I was like, does that one work?
3: <laughs> garlic water um, certainly repels <laughs> people. Uh, probably vampires, at least who are Yeah, exactly. But I don't know about mosquitoes. What I do know is that there are EPA-registered repellents. Um, And so these are the things that you typically think of when you think of, you know, the mosquito repellent you buy on. Like the
1: deep woods off and and those kinds of things. So the
3: active ingredients that we know work um, are DEET, oil of lemon eucalyptus,
1: Picaridin. Oh, I actually saw the oil of lemon eucalyptus yeah. in one of the homemade ones where they put that in, like the mixture to spray. So you're saying that one, that one does work.
3: That works. And what I always recommend people do is not necessarily try to cook up your own right, you know, home true. remedy, <laughs> um, but to um, but to look for products, you know, at, at the local store that are EPA registered. So in order to um, become EPA registered, you need to go through a battery of tests and procedures to make sure that the product, when used according to label instructions, causes no harm to people or the environment. Okay. Um, And so look for that. Those four um, uh, active ingredients that I mentioned are all recommended by CDC. We know they work. We know they're safe.
1: What is the best way to protect our homes from mosquitoes?
3: Sure. Well, mosquitoes, you know, people often think of mosquitoes as being outside pests, right? You you know, you go out in the evening, you're cooking s'mores around the campfire, and you're getting eaten up by mosquitoes but mosquitoes can actually find their way into your house too so one of the things that we often don't think about very often but it's important to make sure that your screens are repaired on your house
1: oh true Um,
3: so make sure the screens are in and make sure they're not ripped Um, it's easy to repair a screen but the most important thing is make sure they're there so that'll keep the mosquitoes out of the house but even around the perimeter of your house there are some things to look for the most important would be standing water Okay. Um, as I mentioned, mosquitoes need standing water uh, to complete their life cycle. They lay their eggs in or on water. The larvae then develop in the water. They're completely aquatic. The pupal stage, so it's kind of like a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's complete metamorphosis. They have egg, larva, pupa, and then the adult is what we see. Is that see. a
1: long stage? Does that take long?
3: Not at all. So you would think about like a butterfly, you'd think of the chrysalis stage, you know, it takes months and months maybe. But in the case of a mosquito, Mm -hmm. when it's 85, 90 degrees in the middle of the summer, um, the Asian tiger mosquito can complete its life cycle from egg to adult in five or six days.
1: Oh, wow. So that's interesting because like if you have a kid's pool or something that they haven't been playing in, because you kind of tend to think, oh, it's got to be standing for like, you know, three weeks Right. it doesn't take that long. well
3: it's easy to forget about that kind of stuff but it doesn't necessarily even need to be there for three weeks so um, even these things will just collect some rainwater. so there's a heavy storm mm-hmm. or even a small storm anything anywhere that um, that the, the rain can collect so think about the kids pool of course but also the bird bath so any water in a bird oh, bath right. that maybe has been sitting for more than a week it's a good idea to dump it out and refill it um, but checking your gutters your rain gutters on your on your roof if they're clogged they'll collect water Kids' toys, even um, something as small as a bottle cap, can collect enough water for mosquitoes to breed in.
1: What about things like um, bug zappers and everything? Because I remember seeing those. My parents had one at one point in time, and I was like, Is that? I hear it zapping bugs, but I'm like, Is it actually attracting bugs because the fact that it's lit up and it's the middle of the night and that's out there?
3: (laughs) Sure. Well, it's zapping something. Right. right. And so when you take a close look at what those bug zappers are actually killing, um, it's usually not mosquitoes. Usually what you'll find, and there's been some, some research into this, um, you'll find moths. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, okay, that's great because they're attracted to the light. Uh, but you'll also find some other beneficial insects like the kind of bugs that might be eating mosquitoes or other pests in your garden that are being attracted. So we typically don't think of uh, mosquitoes as being attracted to light. And those bug zappers are attracting those light-loving oh. uh, light pests. Uh, mosquitoes are attracted, at least from a distance, by carbon dioxide. So as we breathe oxygen, we're breathing out carbon dioxide, and that is attractive to mosquitoes. So yeah, so bottom line, those bug zappers are probably not killing mosquitoes. They're killing something, but not necessarily mosquitoes.
1: And just a reminder, I'm talking to Dr. Jim Fredericks from the National Pest Management Association. We're talking about mosquitoes. We're talking about ticks. We're talking about all kinds of vector-borne illnesses you can get as a result of that. I wanted to ask you, too, about uh, ticks. When I was a kid, I grew up on a farm here in central Pennsylvania. and we We would run all over the place, and we'd be up in the woods, and there was never a problem. Now, my nephew, who lives in town, can not go in his backyard and not have a tick. You know, is that changed? Has that changed where they're at and why?
3: There's a couple of reasons why it feels like we're seeing more and more ticks. Um, One of that is it seems like recently we've had some really mild winters. And ticks need to overwinter. They need to make it through that cold period. And they have different strategies for making it through the winter. They kind of get down underneath the leaf litter and they're able to um, kind of, if, if the winter comes on slowly, they're able to develop like almost an antifreeze in their, in their bodies. But mild winters mean that, uh, that more ticks will make it through. And so you have these larger populations building up. Uh, another reason for the changes is that the landscape is changing too. Um, in the past, uh, we would have. Um, you take. You can take a look at regions where it would be just farmland. So it would be fields and fields and fields. Um, and there were prob. There's probably plenty of hunting going on, um, but those fields wouldn't necessarily harbor ticks. Um, ticks like to be in that sp- that space right between um, the forest and the field, kind of that transition zone, and that's where they'll hang out the most. Okay. Uh, tall grass. So a well-cut field, just like your well-cut backyard. Um, will probably not harbor ticks. But now we have a lot of these edge areas and, and uh, communities are being built um, in places where you have deer and other other um, animals that act as um, tick food. Um, but then you also have a lot of these edge areas because it looks nice to be close to nature.
1: Oh, so it's kind of the way that we are landscaping around where we live now. It's, or
3: It's probably part of it.
1: And what is what is it that people can best do to protect themselves from ticks? Because they... Carry Lyme, right?
3: Lyme disease is probably the uh, well is the most common vector-borne illness in the United States, okay. um, and it's serious. And in fact, um, CDC believes that it's severely underreported, um, and that people have kind of contract Lyme disease and don't don't necessarily know it. Um, the best way to protect yourself is well, two things for sure. One is uh, to make sure that you're wearing repellent. Again, DEET is is, is very effective. Oh, so the Again.
1: same, same repellent you would use for mosquitoes Yeah, and will help with ticks?
3: Absolutely, and, okay. and you should take a close look at the label. Make sure that on the label that ticks are listed as a, as a pest that it repels. Um, EPA actually, as part of that vetting process that I mentioned, requires uh, the manufacturers of those products to not only show that it's safe, but also to show that it's effective. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to a public health pest like ticks or mosquitoes. So you know it will work if it has that EPA registration number on it. Um, So use repellent according to label instructions. But then also when you're done, you know, being outdoors and hiking or doing whatever it is you're doing, do a tick check. The easiest way to do that is to take a shower after you get back in the house. Um, And I say take a shower because that's a great opportunity to check all, to check your entire body uh, for ticks. But also the act of taking a shower will actually wash some ticks off. Um, Until they've taken a bite, they're not holding on very tight.
1: Oh, okay. And why do you think it's the most, uh, you said about it being uh, one of the most underreported. Why do you think that is?
3: Um, I don't know why that is. I I suspect that people, um, you know, are just not aware. And so they have symptoms and they're ill or they may not have symptoms for many years. A lot of times, um, you know, the most common symptom that people think of when it comes to Lyme disease Mm -hmm. is a bullseye rash. Oh, yes. Um, right. And so a, a bullseye kind of rash around that bite site. But not all people exhibit that symptom.
1: Oh, okay. And so if
3: that doesn't show up, you may not recognize or even know that you were bitten or, uh, or have contracted it.
1: I would imagine, and I don't know if you can speak to that. I was going to say, I imagine with some people there's a different reaction than others. So some might have a mild reaction initially and other ones
3: some may have no no some may have a severe reaction some may have no reaction and that goes for a lot of different bug bites Mm -hmm. Um, with mosquitoes I mean some people have a severe reaction super itchy Um, some have not much at all and a lot of that has to do at least with mosquitoes is your body's allergic reaction Mm -hmm. uh, to that bite and so the saliva from a mosquito is what is causing your body to react and then cause that itchy welt to appear
1: and I'm one of those people that it, like as soon as I'm out, I'm eating alive and my daughter is too. My husband doesn't seem to be bothered. So I'm like, okay, is there something about my body chemistry that just seems to attract them? Or do you think it's like where I'm just overreacting? Literally, Regina, you're overreacting.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For sure, um, your body chemistry is, um, is a factor. Um, and I say that because mosquitoes at a distance are attracted to carbon dioxide. But when they get close, um, they're going to cue in on odors. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily mean bad odors, but just the odor of a human. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are lots of factors that influence that the things that you eat, the things that you drink, but also the microflora that lives on your skin will create um, different um, odors and different... Um, Uh, You know, kind of a different suite of odors, so to speak, um, that mosquitoes will be more or less attracted to.
1: Where can people find information about this?
3: Well, we have some great information available on our website, which is pestworld.org. You'll be able to find information not only about mosquitoes and ticks, but all household pests from cockroaches to rats and mice.
1: Well, thank you for sitting down and talking to me. It's a lot of good information. I really appreciate it.
3: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
1: And thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the AccuWeather podcast, and thanks to our guests, especially. And next week, we will be talking to Marshall Moss. He's the vice president of forecasting here at AccuWeather, and he's going to tell us what goes into a forecast. And believe me, there is a lot that goes into a forecast that we put out. It's a big collaborative effort here.
0: And if also, if you're an aspiring meteorologist, he's going to have some uh, information, some wisdom to share. Uh, about joining the field and keep your eyes up to the sky because uh, we're going to be talking a little bit of astronomy with our very own dave samuel to find out about some of the things you can see up in the summer night sky
1: right he is our accuweather blogger on astronomy and he has some specific details as well on things going on this summer that you won't want to miss so tune in